0: Welcome to Going Deep with Brandon Angelo. You can find him at um, Angelo Dynasty, right? Am I saying that right? Yeah,
1: close. Uh, at Angelo underscore fantasy, pretty close. That's A lot right. of dynasty stuff on there, though, so that, that's right on um, Right. right. On button. But I was man, thinking
0: man. from your site. Oh, yeah, angeloanalysis.com. Angelo analysis. See, I. Okay, so and I'm at the Rookie Scouting Report because that's usually where everyone gets it wrong for me is I <laughs> <laughs> For sure. For sure. Or profile, the Rookie Scouting profile, something like that. It's, yep. yeah, so, but Brandon, man, it's so much fun that we're gonna be doing this podcast twice a month and we've knocking one out two weeks in a row and then we'll be back in August after we have a few things to do um at the end of the month here. But you know last week's was definitely a fun conversation this week we you know we've gotten you know more of the same in terms of the in terms of the level of enjoyment that we got ahead looking at maybe players where is the signal versus the noise really good or guys that maybe we, we look at and say whether they're young guys or even older players is this the beginning of a downturn perhaps are we seeing things that we're wondering about or is the noise just louder than the signal in some cases. Right. So we're, we're going to just kind of go back and forth. We have some players that we have in mind, and 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 we'll go from there. So, you know, who's someone that just sticks out to you when, when I say signal versus the noise in either direction?
1: Oh, man, I think the first one is uh, Brandon Ayuk. I think, you know, he had one of the quietest 1,000-yard seasons. He had, I think, 1,000 yards, 78 catches, 8 touchdowns. And I think it's only going to go up from here, because I think we're going to see a little bit of a downturn from a guy like George Kittle in terms of role as a pass catcher. Uh, I think Ayuk is going to be one of those cats that kind of emerges as potentially a top tier wideout in this league. I think he's had the talent. He's a first round pick at Arizona State. And I think when we watched him at Arizona State, his ability to decelerate really stuck out to me. Um, and I think you can you can kind of piggyback off that as well if that's your kind of similar sentiments, but. For me, I've known him to have the talent. But I think him coming in in the last episode, we talked about what some issues guys have coming in the NFL. And he had a lot of those, right? He wasn't trusted by the offense. He was kicked out of practice a couple times, right? But from, you know, all signs right now are blinking towards him being ready to take on a premier role in one of the league's most exciting offenses and I think that he can do that and I think another thousand yard plus season is on the horizon for him and I think we might see 1200 yards and 10 touchdowns from Brandon Matthew. I think he emerges as as potentially the premier option on that offense alongside Christian McCaffrey because I don't think Debo Samuel's that guy um, anymore I think we kind of saw that with Shanahan going out and getting Christian McCaffrey right? I don't think Debo Samuel can stay healthy, and I don't think he's going to be consistent enough as a wide receiver to play, you know, X, Z, play in the slot. I think he's going to used more in a gadget role, but I think IU might be their top target getter at wide receiver, and, you know, with that offense and
0: what he can do in the red zone, too, I think it's, you know, sky's the limit for a guy like that. I couldn't agree more, and it's funny because I just wrote a piece today at Football Guys. Um, in my long running gut check column about premium players based on ADP and maybe guys that you could get as alternatives who either might equal or um, be equal or greater to that production at a lower cost or guys you find super cheap who combined with players that you take instead of those premium picks at that same range, you probably get a net positive out of that. You know and i joke that it was kind of like beers in the saying that's like you know i picked some beer that i would never drink that people seem to like some craft beer and then said here's some pbr and here's some miller high life and it's like you know there's some miller high life there that you know you spend a little bit on that and have some good comfort food that you cook you know the whole experience as a uh, you know overall might be more memorable than if you went you know, you went out to eat, you know, depending on the restaurant you went to. But, you know, kind of like that. And when I was writing about Ayuk, it's so funny. I echoed the same sentiments as you is that Debo Samuel, when he came into the league, great runner after the catch, awesome athlete, not a great one-on-one route runner. You know, that that ability to beat press man isn't really his forte. And it never was. And it hasn't really gotten significantly better where you'd say, you're that guy that we want to match up against the best corner and we know you're going to win that route and and so and he after they had to use him as a runner a couple of years ago due to injury he pretty much rebelled against that to the media saying look don't put me in that role. I don't want to be in this role long term. Please, don't right? Do that. No, a hundred percent. Yeah, because yeah, he knows what he is. You know, he's a he's a wide receiver and who can do punt return and occasionally you can get him into space as a runner and he's great. But he doesn't want to be pounding that ball in between the tackles or no. or getting a high volume of carries. And so you're right. The whole idea of Christian McCaffrey coming in seems to me the team said, listen, we we need a bell cow here who can also be versatile in space and that will open up the offense horizontally and vertically for us and iuke can be that guy who and listen if he's survived the Mike, the Kyle Shanahan you, you know hardship of what happens to young players until they learn his system and play the way he expects you're golden once that happens yep. i mean and so here's the thing what's funny to me though Ayuk was wide receiver 13 last year in PPR leagues. You look at his ADP right now, he's wide receiver 31. He's seven yeah. off the board. And you're just looking at that and I'm going, okay, you've got that. And then you've got across the bay, one of the best wide receivers who's played the game as a route runner in Devontae Adams. But now he's inheriting Garoppolo. They've lost um Darren Waller. They've lost... um you, you, they've lost Foster Moreau who may not be sound like a huge player but they you know he's a helpful guy they law lo- they're losing Hunter Renfro the way that this is going and they yeah. they brought in all the Patriots cast-offs to basically run this offense yeah. down to Philip Dorsett, Myers, Dorsett yeah. yeah and there's no offensive line that no. in in Las Vegas that matches what Jimmy Garoppolo had in San Francisco right. so, so and you took Derek Carway, who he came to play with. Like, he was literally went there to be near family and to play with his former college teammate. And they ran him off. So you look at that and I think, do I really want to draft a guy like um, Devonta Adams that high when I can get someone else like A.J. Brown, who's on a more stable offense and may not have the top five, may not have the top... One or top two ceiling sure. of Adams in a great year, but he's certainly probably top five like Adams right. has. That's a realistic ceiling. Or Debo, who who finished. You know, yes, he missed multiple games, but he finished outside the top thirty last year, or he's yeah. like twenty eighth, and he's being taken way ahead of Ayuk as if like he's still yeah. going to be running the football. So like to me, like what you're saying makes absolute sense. Is that Ayuk is the guy in this offense in terms of 100%. being the receiver. I mean, good after the catch, um, always been very good as like a slant route runner mm-hmm. and, and play action. It's just a matter of refining the, you know, the, the techniques of his game. And part of that too is just understanding what to run versus what defense, because at right. Arizona State, as a, as a JUCO transfer, you're probably not getting the complexity of, you know, of kyle shanahan's west coast scheme no
1: <laughs> You're, no that, yeah. definitely definitely not and he yeah. shined as a punt returner there too and i think that was like i remember i i, I wrote his initial um profile in Andrew analysis when he was a, right before he was a rookie and i said i think he's gonna be an all pro punt returner and because he was so good in space yeah and he was great on punt return but i think his natural ability and and inclination to be one of those guys that wins one-on-one matchups can, you know, beat press man. That's all there. So I think they need a guy like that. And I think it's him. It's not Debo Samuel. I think Jordan's Kittle, you know, I think we're going to start to see the downturn of his career. Unfortunately, he's such a fun player to watch, but especially as a pass catcher. Um, But yeah, I mean, really, I mean, the top two in this offense and targets, it's going to be, in my opinion, Ayuk. And then, CMC. I mean, they're gonna they're gonna use him all over the place, especially with a healthy Elijah Mitchell. I mean, CMC's gonna be catching a ton of balls too. So uh, it'll be definitely interesting to see what what that offense looks like with potentially. I think it's gonna be Brock Purdy at the helm.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. I don't think it's gonna be Trey Lance. I think that you know, I think that chip is kind of sunk, um, because I think the idea of Trey Lance is that he can do all of these great things with his feet but he needs time to develop and he has and he's been hurt and i think the shanahan system is a timing based system right it's west coast it's it, you you have to be on time on target know when your guys you know where your guys gonna be when he's gonna be there but that's not Trey Lance, right trey lance is you know quote unquote a freelance type player where he needs off structure sort of like guy we talked about last time kyler murray yeah. right he needs he doesn't need structure to to be a good quarterback
0: but that system craves structure yeah maybe and he's more like a technically acceptable Dak prescott you know sure you, you know and that and he certainly came from a west coast but that's the difference between you know north dakota state west coast and kyle yeah. shanahan west coast which is like the difference between a uh, you know, a, a good comic book and a Dostoevsky novel. You know, so. sure,
1: it's yeah, for sure. Yeah,
0: it's, it's hey, <laughs> it's Harvard versus community
1: college in terms of like the, the levels of the system. Yeah, and I I don't think he's you know I don't know what they're gonna do with him, but yeah. I mean, it's it, it, I think really the pecking order would be Purdy. I think if they have their choice, Purdy, Darnold backs him up, and then Trey Lance, who you can get for him. Yeah, I mean, yeah. bye bye. I mean, you know, yeah. but you know, that's. See.
0: But it's a good point because he brought up kittle i just want to we'll talk about him next but i want to cap off my thoughts on Ayuk just in the from the standpoint of that um (laughs) you know in this offense um you you know with purdy he was very consistent for a guy who was you know just looking at number of games that he had where he had at least six catches and 80 yards i think he had like nine games with at least that which tells you, it, it's not so much the yardage that matters. It's that he's getting open to get targeted. Right. And, and he's making good on those targets well enough that, yes, there was good fantasy production out of that. But the real key there is that the targets were coming his way because he's getting open and he's reliable now. Right. And, and consistently, That's huge. Yeah. So with Kittle, you know, I, I, I'm sure there are people who are kind of like raising an eyebrow when we said, yeah, Kittle is... Kittle might be on his way out as a top player, especially when, you know, people are drafting a guy like him in fantasy football, you know, not as high as maybe his, you know, as what his expectation would be, but tight end four are still considered a top tight Mm -hmm. end. It's just the injuries that have dropped him because if he wasn't injured, he would be one and two with Kelsey. Um, But he's 54 in ADP overall, at least when you look at, say, football guys, Um, or you look at, you know, you know, certainly we could look at some of the other, um, sites out there, but really, you know, his consensus is around 54 as the pick and that's, you know, at T4, I think the concern is this and Adam Harstead brought it up in our, in our show last year is that tight ends who can do it all are almost a myth in NFL these days. I mean, because even when they are in existence, they don't last long and stay healthy long enough. I mean, Rob Gronkowski, who might be the best, one of the best ones ever, had a litany of, you know, had years with injuries that he couldn't complete seasons. It right. was tough on him. Um, so Kittle's the, that guy in terms of what he can do overall. But when you start looking at his health history, you have to worry about the the rigor of the position and what's asked of him especially because he is asked to block he is that kind of player and you look at he's had one season where he played an entire year and and that was 2018 and since then he played 14 games in 2019 2020 is 2020 played eight and then when they went to 17 games what was it 2020 or 2021 they went to 17 games i think it was 20 I think it was 2021 One. 1 was 17 it was the first year with 17 games I, so I 16
1: think... it was 16 in 2020 yep. yeah
0: yeah so he missed 3 games in 2021 and he missed 2 games last year again it's good that he missed a combined you know 5 when he actually had missed 8 the in 2020 mm-hmm. but still it doesn't look great and the no, production no. has continued to kind of you, you know, the touchdowns were there and as the second-ranked guy, but you don't really want to lean on touchdowns with receivers and running backs. You want to re- lean on targets, receptions, and yardage. And those have been kind of – they've been below 1,000 yards for, you know, the past three years. Right. I mean, yeah, he's a guy he, – oh, five
1: of his last seven games were under 30 yards. Under 30 yards receiving. I think he was – the reason I think last well, year he was kind of propped into that tight end for he had 11 touchdowns, right? So he was active in the red zone. But if you're telling me a guy like George Kittle, five out of his last seven games, under 30 yards, what does he do when he's age 30, yeah. right? This is age 30 season. Is that going to get better? And if you look at the two games – out of, those, out of those seven, out of those last seven games where he had over 30 yards, it was like 93 yards and 120. So games with big gains attached to that. But those are few and far between now for Kittle because, like I said previously, Ayuk is the one who's going to be taking those targets, right? Ayuk's going to be the one moved around sort of as that movement Z um, that I think Devontae Smith did such a good job of playing this year too in Philadelphia. But that's going to be a big deal for IU to play that position and to be the three-level guy in that offense. And it used to be George Kittle. And that's why he was so sought after the tight end position. He's, he played a three-level role, which is so rare to see tight ends play in the NFL nowadays. He played that, played it well. But I think, you know, in his age 30 season, I don't think we see him have the impact that he had in the past.
0: Yeah. And I think that's, you know, when we look at players who were all around, options. I mean, Antonio Gates could block, he may not have been the greatest blocker, but they used him and you had to block in a Marty Schottenheimer offense um, for sure. And you look at Tony Gonzalez, who certainly, you know, maybe was known more as a receiver, but certainly had to do his share of blocking in in the offense as he was in Kansas City. And as they got older, they went through a period in their early thirties where their numbers maybe declined a little bit, and then Mm -hmm. they had a bit of a renaissance towards the end. But I think that Renaissance towards the end actually um, came because I think that their their staffs decide kind of made a choice and they said he can't do everything ever anymore. So let's right. let's let him focus on what he's going to do to uh, help us the most. And I oh, think yeah. that we'll have to see for Kittle to if Kittle can get over the hump with the health issues to a point where at least it's manageable stuff. Mm-hmm. Part of it's going to have to come probably with the team saying we can't use him as in, in the way that we've used him in the past. We're going to have to For choose sure. a little bit more.
1: Well, yeah, and I think in that system, he he's such a him and you know him and Juice are probably the best fullback <laughs> tight end <of> tandem <laughs> as blockers in NFL history. I mean, they're incredible in you knowing that wide zone scheme. So I think they're gonna you know in in giving him. That, especially with CMC back there now at running back, I, I think it just makes. I think it makes the most sense. And it, it, there's always been like like the sentiment that you know the better your running back is as a pass catcher, that's where the tight end production kind of dwindles. And I think we saw that this year um, with Kittle, especially when CMC you know hit the ground running in San Francisco, is that Kittle's production really fell off, and I don't think that's a total coincidence
0: yeah absolutely absolutely so who's someone else on your list that you feel like okay they stand out when we're talking signal versus noise
1: i think one of them he's the only rookie on my list it's jameer gibbs and reason being is if you look at the history of van campbell right came from that you know he was associate head coach with sean payton when when was that that was in the prime of that ingram camara era and i think that's his vision is having the david montgomery be mark ingram but you have the pass catching capabilities of jameer Gibbs being out there in that offense right i think that's more of the comparison for me is they're very different types of runners but utilization wise, I think that's what Dan Campbell's going with. And I think he saw that with you know, took him the top fifteen for crying out loud. And that's where he's gonna be utilized. And I think that's gonna be a really valuable, 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 valuable um, spot for him in that offense is being utilized as that do it all player, split out wide, you know, go outside, be in the backfield, just that positionless weapon that Dan Campbell saw with Alvin Kamara in his early years in, in New Orleans. Um, but I like him a ton there, and I also love what I'm hearing from, you know, beat writers and seeing on the practice field is how he's being used. He's being used out wide, in the slot, in the backfield. They're doing, you know, doing pony sets with him and David Montgomery, and it's it's super cool to see because you invested a top 15 pick in this cat, so you're going to use him. Um, and I love everything about Jameer Gibbs as a mover and what he can do in space, but it's going to be his early utilization that's really gonna I think open some eyes as to what Dan Campbell has in store for this offense because this is going to be an offense I think that is not gonna be you know, about the chunk plays. Amon Ra Saint Brown and Jameer Gibbs are going to be guys that can, you know, rip off six, seven, eight every time. And with Jamison Williams potentially being back after suspension, it's gonna be a little bit harder to cover those two. So I, I'm really excited about what, what Gibbs is gonna to bring to that offense and you know, early indications is that he's fitting the bill of what a top fifteen pick should look like, which is a really good indication of how excited um this Dan Campbell led Lions team is gonna utilize him. Yeah, I think
0: those are awesome points and when you think about this offense, they add Laporta, who is also a very good yeah. intermediate range player who can work outside on the perimeter like a receiver with certain types of routes. That that hopefully, if that translates to the NFL, and I think it will, um, you're going to have you know Amon Ross, St. Brown, Gibbs, and um, and Laporta all working where you can spread the offense out horizontally and have different levels of intermediate and short that'll work really while Jared Goff will throw the ball downfield he's very good in that short intermediate game 100 percent. You, you know that was that was the thing with the air raid and what he did back at Cal you know where he was very good and then you then you then you add in somebody like Marvin Jones who's getting older and maybe not everything's all there with him like it used to be, where he could be that massive deep threat as well and add that element. And while he probably still can do that to a degree, you're not asking him to probably to be one of the best contested catch players in the league like he was in Detroit right. in his first round. But he can still run intermediate routes and he can still play at all three positions. So you're you're getting a a player you're getting players like that that can just help your quarterback do what he does best. And and also keep that defense off the field where you right. can run with Gibbs and Montgomery. You have the short passing game where you're efficient and you're just bleeding clock and doing it in that fashion a little bit more than just trying to go for that big play and then you end up with lower percentage situations. And with Gibbs, what he does better than Swift is run the ball between the tackles. I mean, yeah. he he may not be... He may not be Bijan Robinson between the tackles, okay, but at the, uh, in terms of what maybe Robinson can become, but he's not so he's not deficient at running the ball between exactly.
1: The tackles. yeah, and people think because of his size, he's going to be you know oh, he's going to be poor between the tackles, but I think he hasn't he, he's very decisive, and I think that, that's the difference between him and Swift and why they got rid of Swift. Yeah. was the injuries you know he couldn't stay in the field I think it's a big one for them but also the indecision that Swift had as a ball carrier led to a lot of a lot of bad down and distances for that line's offense yeah and that's the issue is Jameer Gibbs isn't going to lose three four yards on a play no he might not he might get none or one or get stalled but you know, there were times where Swift would lose 3-4, put you down in the second and 14, yeah. right? Second and 13. And that's the issue is a guy like that whose internal clock never shifted to what the NFL needs, Jameer Gibbs has, and that, that's one of his shining traits is he has a fantastic between-the-ears skill set and is a very good timing-based rusher, whereas DeAndre Swift needed space to be successful. And when when he was coming out of Georgia, you could see that, right? He was very good going left, poor going right. And he was also poor between the tackles, so he couldn't read and redirect efficiently. Yeah. We thought that would get better, didn't. And now he's in a space, he's in a space with Philadelphia where it's going to be a little bit easier, right? You're going to have a guy like Jalen Hurts managing. That part of the game that makes it like that's why Miles Sanders, I think, became a better rusher when Jalen Hurts took the helm. His decisions are much easier. Yeah, And I think that's a big deal with with DeAndre Swift and, you know, in a Jared Goff-led offense. You know, you have to be the one to make the decisions, not your quarterback. And you have to make the second-level reads. But in Philadelphia, it's going to be a little bit easier for a guy like DeAndre Swift. So I think, you know, the the Goff Swift marriage and that offense didn't work out. But I think DeAndre Swift is going to see a bit different um, matchups at the second level with, with a guy like Jalen Hurts
0: taking some pressure away. Those are some great points. And, you know, I mean, Swift at the end of the day, he, you know, it's like you talk about people turning lemons into lemonade. And I think Gibbs is a guy who turns lemons into lemonade. Um, or, at the worst he doesn't turn lemonade into lemons and i think that's, <laughs> sure. i think swift sure. sometimes turned lemonade into lemons yeah you, you know so that's that's kind of part of the issue with that for me i think a rookie that the rookie that stands out to me and i'm just kind of all in on this guy this year um if if there's a wild absolute wild prediction like that i could see happening and it's not that i'm like I'm not, when I say all in, I'm not like betting, I'm not going crazy, like betting the house on this. But if, if someone were to say me, make the wildest prediction that you think that could come true, okay. it we're would here. be Dalton Kincaid is an 1,100 yard, 10 touchdown player out of the gate with the Buffalo Bills as a, as a um, receiver slash tight end in a Kelsey esque type of role, even if it's not. Exactly, schematically like Kelsey, just more in the fact that he's slot outside guy, and they already have their tight end and Dawson Knox, yeah. who's a good all-around tight end, and that will happen to me if this Dig situation doesn't get addressed. Oh,
1: for sure, he's gonna be. If, if it doesn't get, I, I think it does. But you're right. I, yeah. I think either way, I think we're gonna look back at this July twelfth of twenty twenty-four and say, holy cow, Dal- Dalton Kinkade, the hell of a rookie season. Yeah,
0: yeah, because it's like, if, if if Diggs gets back, and I think it will, because all this is just BS, your talk, and it'll get wrapped up. But if it doesn't, if it does, I'm still looking at this offense, and I think Dalton Kincaid, he could still be a 600 to 800-yard receiver this year 100%. with six to eight touchdowns, and you're still looking at a top five tight end with those numbers. You're still looking at someone who's probably in that range. Right. You, you know, and, and in camp right now, what I keep reading, Brandon, that just interests me about him is at first, before they were talking about him, other than physically, they're like, oh yeah, physically, he looks like he's really good. Like this guy could be really good. Then you start hearing the coaches kind of say, well, we don't, we're not sure what his role is going to be just yet. Then you start reading, Dalton Kincaid looks everything, every bit is advertised as the player that the, the Bills said, we're trading, we're picking him or we're trading down um, if we don't get him. And that he could be everything they're looking for and that there's a rapport with him and Josh Allen already. So what I read between the lines with that is this, is that when they, when they drafted him, they thought exactly the way we're talking. You're going to move him around. He's going to become one of the two centerpieces of your passing offense. He's going to be the other mismatch maker that um, that Diggs offers, um, who can match up one-on-one with certain types of personnel and win on a regular basis that forces some really difficult coverage decisions for the opposing defense. And he's good after the catch. He can be a red zone threat with his ability to win win after the um, when at the at the point of 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 the catch at the um, you know in contested situations so when you look at all that I think what they were saying was we we don't want to tell people that's what we're going to do with him and then it not really work out because he's young and we've jumped the gun because we already kind of saw that with James Cook last year where we're you know we didn't go nuts talking about him but we, we kind of outlined what we envisioned from him. And he really wasn't that huge of a factor um, at, early on as what maybe they were hoping. And I think they learned a little something from that. But now I think what's happening is that he's playing so well in camp right now, and he's probably learned things fast enough and flashing enough that now they're a little bit more hopeful. And I think we're gonna see it show up um, in August and, and carry over into, into the season.
1: Yeah, no, man, I think you're right because if you look at, you know, when Josh Allen was at his most successful, he had Cole Beasley as the two-way go guy, right? He had the guy who could be man coverage in the slot and this is going to be the guy who can sit in the zone and he didn't have that guy last year, right? He he needs that guy and that's, who, that's what Donald Kincaid can be and more because of his above-the-room capabilities and because of how good he is deceptively from in that fashion after the catch, he needs that he needs that, you know, Robin to digs his Batman. And I think that is what he can be in that offense, especially because, you know, we're seeing all this kind of, you know, smoke about DeAndre Hopkins. Right? Yeah. They're like, mm, you know, we don't we don't want to pay him. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Right? Like, like, <laughs> right. If Josh Allen did not feel comfortable with the with the room they have, he's at a point in his career where he can say, you know what, go get me DeAndre. And they'd be like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll oblige by that or get, or get something similar done. But I think they feel comfortable with Dalton Kincaid as the second option in that offense right now because that's what he is. It's not going to be Gabe Davis. I think uh, Khalil Shakur is a great tertiary option, um, similar to K.J. Osborne in Minnesota. Yes. But he's not going to be the rabbit. Yeah, Right. not right now at least. No, 100%. And I think that's going to be Kincaid. And what Kincaid's going to bring to the table is a significant red zone presence that was missing last year, right? Gabe Davis wasn't that guy. Isaiah McKenzie was miscast. Khalil Shakur wasn't ready. And you just have this whole giant workload on Stephon Diggs and him getting frustrated and throwing his helmet on the sidelines because he's being doubled and tripled in the red zone.
0: Yeah. And Dawson Knox's brother died last year after yeah, a, a huge right. season, and he was playing through yeah. a lot of emotional yeah. stuff.
1: Yeah, so it, 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 you're exactly right too. And you know, I totally forgot about Knox in that equation. Is yeah, I mean, he's a nice player, but it's like he, you know, he isn't going to be the guy in the red zone. No. And I think both those guys might be on the field at the same time too, which would be kind of fun to watch. But. I think you you have that guy who can win in the intermediate years of the field, win you know, win and sit in zones and and give you a ton of ton of ton of production in the red zone. I think, yeah, I think 1,100. If Stephon Diggs doesn't play, man, man, wheels up. But I I think either way, you're looking at a 600, 700 plus yard season from Dalton Kincaid, and if he scores, 10 touchdowns, doesn't surprise me
0: 100%. Yeah. So let's before we get to your other wide receiver, who I'm just trying to mourn the thought of as you as I know where you're going is I let's go a little further east in New York and talk about Darren Waller as a giant because that's that's the guy you mentioned um as well on your on your list when we were talking about this off air so so what are your thoughts on Waller now that he is in Rutherford you know yeah
1: I I, so here goes as I I think he's going to be the target leader in that offense and I think that's going to be enough with an ascending Daniel Jones. Um, I think Darren Waller is going to get to play more receiver than he ever has. And I think that's a really important thing. He's much more a receiver than he is tight end, right? I think yeah. he's going to be, I'd go as far as say I think he's going to be what we picture Kyle Pitts of being. Yes. Um, and I think that's going to happen this year if he stays healthy, right? He, he's He's a bit older now. He's dealt with some injuries in the past two seasons, but I think he can be a thousand-plus yard guy um, because they need him to. I don't think there's there's really no one else there that screams to you, "Okay, this is going to be your you know your one K receiver, right?" In yeah. an offense that wants to pass the ball more, and they already and, have a good
0: blocker at tight yeah. end in the right. in the young kid, Yeah, Belanger, yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And so I, I think we're going to see uh, a decent amount of twelve personnel. Um, and I think Saquon Barkley is going to be a big part of that offense. But I also think that the target leader is going to be Darren Waller. And I think that's a really big deal. when we're talking about the landscape, the tight end position of how many tight ends in the NFL are going to be their team's target leaders this year. Yeah. Uh, one definitively in Travis Kelsey. And that's really it. I think the rest of them, it's like maybe, but I think it's going to be Darren Waller is going to be that second guy. And that's a, big deal in an
0: offense that's probably going to feature him as a receiver yeah and you know it's funny because really darren waller to me is a more refined version of kenny galladay yeah 100 really, percent. You so you're really just replacing what you hoped you were going to get from galladay with a player like waller right. the hope you know the the only issue is can he stay healthy from the being banged up as he was but everything you're talking about I mean you give Daniel Jones a big target you you give the offense an opportunity to run a little more 12 personnel if they want to and then work out of that to get the mismatches they want where Waller's gonna be detached from the formation as need be. Um because Wandale Robinson ain't doing it for you that way. Nope. He's a he's a he's a slot gadget guy. Shepard's a slot gadget slot flanker at best if you're gonna be generous to old version of Sterling Shepard. I don't know about, you know, this this version of him as he gets you know, as he ages. Yeah, I, off I, another
1: injury too, yeah.
0: Yeah. So I mean <laughs> Slayton Slayton's kind of an up a nice reserve who, yeah who not not nice third level
1: threat. I mean yeah. that's really what he offers you. So I mean yeah I mean really I mean Hodgins? it's gonna be yeah right yeah, yeah. That, that's what you that's what you got right now. I mean the target leaders one two three. I mean uh, who takes Waller, the, who Hodgins, the... Like what do you yeah. Yeah. Waller's
0: the only guy who takes the top off the defense on a consistent basis. Right, he's
1: the only one where they have to, you have to really sit and worry about. Like when you're, you know, doing your weekly game plan, the defensive corner is circling
0: Derrick Waller. Yeah. He ain't circling. He ain't circling <laughs> Derrick's late. Yeah. So it's that. that's the fascinating part. So so my only question for you then would be, how easy is it going to be for defense, opposing defenses to do what – you know teams were doing the digs last year a little bit but when i say that we can look at digs's production and go well did that really hurt you as a fantasy player no yeah you know? that's a
1: good question i mean i think at the tight end position i think it's going to be interesting <laughs> to see how they use waller in the slot i think that's going to be where he gets his easier production because he's you know 6'6" 250 still runs like a deer um but if he's going to be the guy in that offense, he's going to have to play multiple positions. And that's going to be something that's going to be fun to watch if he does, because you're right, he can detach from the formation. And you can't have Bellinger on this field at the same time as him. So, But I think he's going to have to be in order to have the most success with Darren Waller, right? Yeah. Um, But, yeah, I mean, this is going to be really interesting to see. And that's going to be a – I mean, really on paper, it's kind of an easy offense to to slow down. Yeah. And that's kind of the issue is – if he's the guy, that's great. If he's a nine-target guy a game, that's great for fantasy, right? Because you're at you're least he's at least gonna you know etch into that top three tight ends. But is it gonna be consistent production, or you know are they gonna bring somebody in? I don't think they will. But I mean, it's gonna be a lot of Darren Waller and Saquon Barkley. I think.
0: Yeah, because and with tight ends, I mean, again, because he's listed as a tight end, fifty to sixty yards a game with the occasional outburst above eighty is TJ Hawkinson territory. And that's what T and TJ Hawkinson was a top five tight end last year. So with that kind of with those kind of numbers. With a lot of you know, and also with some games that were below fifty. I mean some thirty yard gains in that. So uh yeah that's certainly possible. So I'm gonna keep delaying this guy we're gonna talk about because we've got Oh boy. But uh let's let's go to the old let's go to where Baltimore came from and go back to Cleveland here a little bit and then I give a little bit sure. of a teaser of that player and And last week we talked a little bit about David Bell being a possible kind of a sleeper type of player who you know needs to take that next step and possibly can and they they talked him up a little bit but the guy who's getting all the targets you're getting targeted heavily in OTAs right now is a guy who just escaped New York in Elijah Moore so you know what were your thoughts? I I I, I want to know what your thoughts were of more coming out of school. Mm-hmm. Whether you think he's capable of being more than a slot receiver, and if he isn't, is can he be enough in the slot to be one of those high volume guys like sure. an Edelman or you know yeah. Renfro a couple years ago or or you know any of the Patriots esque or yeah. old Indianapolis Colts wide receivers of yesteryear with Hunter Peyton sure. Manning.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, for me, really, he you reminded me a bit of Sterling Shepard, like healthy Sterling Shepard. And that's a good thing. I, I think he he can be the guy in the slot to take some pressure off of your your primary receiver, right? Is he going to be the guy in the offense? No, but you don't need him to be, right? He, yeah. he is perfectly perfectly suited as a secondary weapon in the offense. And I think in Cleveland, you're going to see him play that role, right? You have Amari Cooper, I think David Bell can be a nice tertiary piece sometime, someday. Not, I don't think it's gonna be this year, but yeah. someday. But I think Elijah Moore in the change of just scenery is gonna be very good for him. I think it's gonna be a place where he can play in the slot, play with the two way go, and you know be a timing based option for Deshaun Watson, especially on you know important down in businesses. Um, so I think that's the role he'll play. I think the, the thing that we you know we talked about last time is the maturation part of playing in the NFL, right? Is that going to change in Cleveland when things don't necessarily get easier? Yeah. Right? You're you're playing with kind of an offense that underperformed last year. You know, your head coach might be on the hot seat. This is going to be a really interesting year for Deshaun Watson and the rest of that Cleveland Browns offense. But also, too, you have to understand that this is an offense that is very much revolves around Nick Chubb and his success. He's he's, in my opinion, the best pure runner in the NFL right now, and their their success is going to come and go with him. Is that going to be a good fit for Elijah Moore? because there might be some games where he gets two targets. He might might see some one for 13s in the stat column. And last year when that was happening with Zach Wilson and the QB carousel of the New York Jets, he wasn't very happy. So I think the talent is there for him to be that secondary option in the NFL offense and to be a good fit for the Cleveland Browns. but is the emotional maturity part of that going to kind of take shape? But is that going to be something where, you know, going into his third year now in the NFL, is that going to be something that comes about? He's going to kind of break through and and be the guy that
0: we thought he'd be. Yeah, because, you know, there are a lot of people that thought of him as like a Steve Smith type of player. And sure. And, um, you know, I'm sure you probably agree with me in the sense that, Steve, there was only really one Steve Smith. Nah, dude was yeah. an absolute yeah. enigma, Yeah, yeah. yeah so, for sure. so it's like, we're, we're, but at the same time, yeah, can he be maybe for fantasy a wide receiver three, wide receiver four in your lineup, a really good wide receiver four who can give you wide receiver three production maybe? I think that's where realistically you're looking for with him. So the noise may sound really good, in OTAs, he's getting a ton of targets. But let's remember that, yeah, like when you said running the ball with Chubb, that means they want bigger personnel probably in there a little more often. Um, and that offense was kind of geared towards that. So, at worst, it may not be David Njoku as your blocker. It might be David Bell, who would yep. who you'd put yep. in there. Yeah, fit, he fits better in
1: twelve too, right? Yeah, and that's the thing.
0: Yeah. So you when you add that in. Having a smaller guy like Moore out there seems to me like he's going to be in certain packages, but if if the team is playing really good offense or playing really well and they're ahead, um, are you really going to see? Or there's certain matchups the way defenses are playing them, right. they may just say, "Look, we're going to roll bigger." And, and that's and and really, I mean, their best lineup right now
1: is People's Jokes, Cooper. Bryant, the Joker. Yep, agree. Chubb, that's it, yeah. and that's their best lineup. And that's going to be the frustrating thing is Elijah Moore is going to be exclusively an eleven up player. Yeah, they're not going to want to play a lot of eleven this year. Yeah, they're just not because that's not their best grouping. Yeah, and yeah. that's going to be the frustrating part is even if people's Jones, let's say, goes down with injury. David Bell's going to be the next one in, yeah. in 12. Or Cedric Tillman. Or Cedric Tillman, right? And so that's the thing is, you know, they, they're lot, he's going to be reliant on them being in some longer down distances, third downs, because I don't think, you know, with how good Nick Chubb still is, that Elijah Moore is going to be a 110-plus target guy. I don't yeah. think it's going to happen.
0: Yeah, and with the offensive line as good as it is, if Chubb gets hurt, Jerome Ford, you need to know and you yeah. and they may yeah they might say you know what we could bring Elliot and do well with that or we could bring in Hunt back bring Hunt back and we could do well with him in that offense if we needed to go there or or we could get Dalvin Cook if he's still hanging around if the injury happens early enough and we could still really roll but otherwise you know they I think they're happy to roll with Ford and let him do that, and he might get enough touches to give you a a, a low and Kareem Hunt type of thing. But you, you know, moving on, let's move on to Baltimore now. The, oh, the you know the, the old ones. Cleveland Browns and talk about talk about their receiving core because we I think we're kind of one up and one down, and the one up is the Elijah Moore sized player in Zay Jones. But does that mean the one down is you know just tell it to me straight? Is it really Rashad Bateman?
1: Oh, man. I think – so the tough thing is with, with Zay Flowers. I mean, both I mean, both Zay, Zay Jones and Zay Flowers are quite good. Did I um, say Zay Jones? Yeah, but oh, hey, I, I, like, hey, I oh, like me some Zay Jones. I mean, that's hilarious. Um, okay. No, it's okay. <laughs> um, but no, I think Zay – really, the, here's the issue here. You have three receivers in that offense who none of them are better than Mark Andrews. That's the crazy. only one that could be better than Mark Andrews currently – is Zay Flowers. I do not think Rashad Bateman is ever going to pan out to what I want him to be or anyone. The reason being is you signal something when you draft Zay Flowers in round one. You go out and get Odell Beckham Jr. So what does that tell you about Rashad Bateman's role in that offense? It's going to diminish... And I think Zay Flowers is going to be the guy they wanted in that offense, right? This is going to be a, more of a more of a spread them out, I think. And this is also going to be an offense where they're going to move one guy around consistently. If you look historically about how Rashad Bateman's utilization looks, he's going to be more so on the outside, running more intermediate. That's going to be him. He's not going to be the guy who's going to be moved around and he's not going to be the, 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 the chess piece. That's what they drafted Zay Flowers for. And I think it's going to be Zay, 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 Flowers, arrow up, Bateman arrow down, because I think Flowers is the one, you know, they want to give the chance of being the guy in that offense. I think, you know, running, you know, 11 in that offense is going to be really interesting because, you know, Andrew's always going to be on the field. So is Andrew going to be in the slot? Or is Bateman going to be in the slot? Or is Zay Flowers going to be in the slot? Because we, I think we know at this point Beckham's going to work out wide. That's fine. But do they trust Bateman enough to stay on the field and, and be a bigger play? Because that's one thing they lack too, right? It's big plays. That's not who Rashad Bateman is. That's not who Odell Beckham Jr. is anymore, in my opinion. That's why they drafted Zay Flowers. So that's gonna be an interesting piece of it.
0: Do you think it's Bateman's not it because of his inability to stay healthy over the past few years? Or do you think it's more than that? Because when you watch him say at Minnesota in the open field and that one play against Miami that or a couple plays against Miami last year, you could see why people clamored for that as a possibility. Sure. But but at the same time, is it because maybe he's he's best at one position and that one position also includes certain types of routes that maybe Lamar isn't, that isn't in his wheelhouse? Um, because when I see Bateman, as you were talking, I thought to myself, what if Bateman were a titan? or an Atlanta Falcon who played outside off play action. And I thought maybe he'd be what people thought Corey Davis would become. Maybe, sure. you know, yeah. or, or he could be a Roddy white esque type of player in terms of what white did really well way back in the day. Maybe that ages me a good bit, but like, but, no, the, for sure. but, but, but the thing is, is that Bateman, you know, Lamar, when people say, oh, Lamar can't throw, you know, they're obviously fantastically mistaken, but it's like Deshaun Watson in the fact that the velocity throws, the high velocity, deep out, deep comeback, were never their things. They're not, that's not, you know, if defenses can say, we're gonna make you throw that to convert, you, you've the defense has won that drive sure. nine times out of 10, or let's say seven out of 10 to not be hyperbole. But, you know, Whereas Matt Ryan in his prime, you know, you knew he was he could make those types of throws, um, and you were good. Or Josh Allen makes those types of throws. Um, but but again, in the middle of the field, Lamar Jackson's deadly. You know, it, tight pockets, middle of the field, efficient movement. Everything that Kyler Murray wasn't that we discussed yes last week is what really Lamar Lamar Jackson is. Um, as a pocket player and a thrower in the middle of the football field. But you're right. Like, who's, you know, you look at Bateman and say, really, why would you put him in the middle of the field when you have two other guys who might be better at that?
1: Yeah, that's the that's the tough thing. And some of those guys you mentioned too, I think the, the similarity is, you talk about Tennessee. You also talked about Matt Ryan timing based passers. Yes, right? Especially outside the numbers. You look at I think when you look at Drew Brees too and Michael Thomas, that's how he was utilized. Yes. And I think that is how you that's how like guys like Rashad Bateman will make their hay in the NFL is that those type of utilization ratios, right? That's not going to be what this offense will probably look like because Mark Andrews is that guy. Right, And that's the issue is he's in he's in that role. And the other important role is going to be that movement Z-type player. Zay Flowers feels that one better than Rashad Bateman. So you have kind of this guy cut out in the rain of what the heck do I do here? Yeah. Well, he's miscast now. And with the additional surgery he had in the offseason that we're just hearing about, I think he's going to be behind the eight ball in terms of finding – those those important targets in this offense. So that's going to be the issue. I think he can still be a very good player. I just don't think he's he's cast correctly um, in this offense, and it's kind of sad for me to say because I loved him coming out. But I think a change of scenery for a guy like Rashad, but when, he, when he can play that Michael Thomas, that Roddy White type role, that'd be perfect, right? You mentioned Atlanta. That's kinda of like what Drake London's doing right now, and I think it's a good fit for London, right? It's I think New Orleans might need a guy like that now with you know, with Michael Thomas being kind of on the outs of the league. Sure. But that's gonna be, you know, one of those interesting pieces of what's gonna happen to Roddy White. Um he's a guy I don't I don't think his option gets picked up. But if it does after he's done, it'll be interesting to see what that offense looks like. Or Denver if they get rid of Cortland Sutton. I think he's a better fit than Cortland Sutton in that offense, too. I think Sutton's a little bit limited, especially after the ACL. Um, we'll see how he moves this year, but in terms of being the one thing that Michael Thomas was really good at is as big as he was, he was very abrupt, yeah. which is why he was so good at selling the slam pattern, right? Rashad Bateman has that to his game. Cortland Sutton does not, at least anymore. So that'll be really interesting to see. But, yeah, I, th- I think that, you know, that short intermediate target, the safety blanket of an offense – um, that's who Rashad Bateman is, but what yeah. they do
0: in Baltimore right now is not what not what he is. So one day, one day I know we're gonna sometime before the summer is up, we're gonna be talking about J.K. Dobbins, but we're we're gonna save that one because um, I think that's gonna be a much longer discussion. Than sure, for sure. Um, but uh, but let's go let's go to a couple of running backs and really, or let's go to one let's go to Chicago and talk about that offense that's probably a good way to start and I want to start with a running back because one of my guys is Khalil Herbert I've yeah, always that. thought that Khalil Herbert was a Dalvin Cook starter kit like that's yeah, the way sure. that you talk about it because he has that curvilinear movement but he also can be a hard cutting back he's got that game-breaking speed that you you would look for um and he's a tough runner between the tackles who maybe is underutilized a little bit as a receiver because montgomery was a decent receiver out of the backfield and you didn't have really a great offense going on there in chicago and then you know recently pro football reference talked about how he broke a tackle i think once every 14 attempts which was 11th highest in the nfl Mm -hmm. among qualifiers and you and you, you know you start watching his game a little bit more in the pros and you go maybe he's no longer the starter kit but he's like the Dalvin Cook knockoff that your friends, who may not watch football as much as you, might not see much of a difference between the two players. Even though if you watch enough, you'll see, you know, there's a there's a little bit of a gap there. But it's not as great of a gap that you don't look and say, I understand why the Bears have him as their number For one back, sure. why Donta Foreman is a nice reserve who can get in there and do things if you need him to be, and why they're excited about Rashawn Johnson. But at the end of the day, why can't you know, Khalil Herbert be a 220 230 t- um attempt runner who gets you about 1000 to 1100 yards and then maybe get some of those instead of getting 9 to 15 receptions he's getting between 20 to 35 receptions. And sure. now you're looking at a top 20 running back in an offense that actually has more weapons now and a, right. and some upgrades along the offensive line hopefully. What are your thoughts on Herbert and along some of those things?
1: As a Bears fan, I I love what he can do for that offense. My only issue with his future is the everything else. He is a fan. I think he's one of the. He, he's a top ten pure runner in the NFL, right. in my opinion. I, I think every day of the week, right? What he can do in inside zone, high read, second level engagements, how well he can. He can read, disengages, and, and, and get by defenders, um, and he's a good accelerator. And he does a lot of things really well as a runner, right? But it's as a receiver and, in more importantly, in pass protection. Yeah, That is where he really becomes a liability, and that is, I think, a big, big, big thing with Justin Fields being at the helm is they're going to want to protect their investment with Fields, and that's why I think they brought in Roshan Johnson because that was Dave Montgomery's role largely. He was the bodyguard of that uh offense, right? Kind of the energy giver too. And that's not who Khalil Herbert is. And he also has trouble as a receiver, right? He's not a great lateral mover. And, you know, on some of those option patterns and things like that, angle patterns, that's not going to be him, right? He's going to be more of the of you a know, check down type guy. Think of when Miles Sanders had that big mm. receiving season. Screens, big, wide routes. Bingo. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah, Things outside the numbers, um, more check down. But that's not who Justin Fields is as a passer. True. And also, too, what, what I worry about with a guy like Herbert is Herbert should be a 12 to 15 touchdown guy every single freaking year, but his quarterback's going to vulture 10. <laughs> and that, and that is gonna be the issue. Which is a good Truth. as a Ferris fan, I yeah. love this, I love it, but as someone who has Khalil Herbert in a number of places, fantasy-wise, I'm like, oh god, there's gonna be so many drives where it's gonna be down to the two and you're gonna see, you know, um you Field's know, zone read yeah. and Fields is gonna take it in. Yeah. Um and that's the thing that kind of sucks is it's kind of like J.K. Dobbins a bit in, in Baltimore. J.K. Dobbs is never going to reach his ceiling in fantasy because of two reasons: a. Lamar Jackson is the one of the best runners in the NFL. Right. Okay? So he's going to steal and siphon some of those touchdowns. And b. Lamar Jackson doesn't check out. Yeah. Justin Fields doesn't check out. Yeah. And that's going to be the issue: is to to develop in something you have to actually do it, right? And that's going to be the thing with. Herbert as a receiver, we see this kind of question mark. He's not going to get better at receiver because he's not going to get the opportunity very much. And that's my worry: is a, a you know a passer like Justin Fields, you know, instead of taking off and running, is going to check down to a guy like Herbert. It's going to be tough. But I love Herbert, but I think it's going to be hard for me to see a guy who. Can can get twelve touchdowns yeah. like he should, which is which is tough because I haven't I haven't a ton of points. I think
0: he's a hell of a runner, but um, Justin Fields can cipher a ton of those. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, that's astute, it's astute thinking and, and analysis when you're talking about the player. Now, I want to look up what how many touchdowns did Montgomery have last year, just no, out I'm of one. curiosity. Let's go. It was. Ahead.
1: Well, it was really interesting too if you looked at how they utilized him. It was more. It was a yeah. finish the drive type,
0: right? Yeah.
1: And that's how, they, that's how they played him, right? It was, like, every, like, third or second series, like, Herbert would come in and he would take it. And he'd finish the drive. Yeah. So that's going to be interesting, too, is, like, you know, he played 13 games. Um, the thing is, too, like, he had, you know, like six – he almost had six yards of carry, right? Yeah. I mean, he's going to be the leading rusher on that offense, in my opinion. But it's going to be the question of the touchdown.
0: Yeah. And, and when you look at it, here's the other, and say that, say your argument doesn't hold water this year, this year in terms of like Fields siphoning those touchdowns. Now he already did. Like if we look last year, David Montgomery had five touchdowns, only right. five touchdowns to lead back. And Justin Fields had eight. Okay. Right. But, But if you combine Montgomery and Herbert, you get nine touchdowns there, but it's still you're thinking, but you're left thinking like how many could they have had? And then you add in the fact that who's gonna be that guy that is going to also come in and start munching on part of that pie that you don't want. And that's probably Foreman or Johnson. Yeah,
1: Foreman initially then I think Roshan Johnson. And that begs the question too, how many touchdowns is David Montgomery going to have this year?
0: Yes. And and there are a lot of people who are sitting there going, but Montgomery just wasn't a great touchdown scorer. But when you look at the line and you look at fields oh, and you terrible. look at those things. Oh. Yeah. Now you look at this and you go, well, Jamal, I love Jamal Williams as a player, you know, an all-around player. But, yeah, Montgomery can be plugged into that role. and, and He's a better player than Jamal Williams, in yes, my opinion. Yes, sure. I would agree. I would agree, and and that's a so yeah that's a that's a really nice look there. Montgomery's a guy that I think people are sleeping on, even you know just be from that standpoint, um, because he has really multiple ways to to get production, even if right. he's not the sole number one guy.
1: No, hundred percent. He's had a thousand. He's had a thousand total yards in every season. Yeah, but and it's it you know and he's never had a. You know, when was the last time Dave Montgomery had a top 30 offensive line? Right. <laughs> you know, like, so like... Maybe at his
0: district in high school. I you know, know, right? I yeah. mean,
1: geez. I mean, you go back to Iowa State and the cycles are terrible too And yeah. uh, from an offensive line standpoint. But, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, that's the thing too is, you know, Montgomery goes to a place where he's he's top eight offensive line, right? Yeah. I think double digit touchdowns are well within the realm of possibility. Yeah. Um but I think Khalil Herbert too, I think the offensive line has gotten better in Chicago. It hasn't gotten worse. But the issue again is it's not the offensive line in terms of scoring touchdowns, it's going to be how many is just in the field to a siphon. Yeah. And it's going to be 8 to 12 every single freaking year.
0: All right. So tell so tell me, DJ Moore, is he finally going to get to be the man? who can be like – can he be – He he's flirted with being a top 15 fantasy yeah, I think player. think so. For sure. Yeah. You know, he's had that. Can that be the trend with him for the rest of his time that he's under contract in, in Chicago?
1: Yeah, I don't think he has a choice either. I mean, <laughs> and that's, that's – you know, lucky the Bears fan of me coming out. But, <laughs> I mean, it's not Chase Claypool. No. Right? No. It, it, it's it's not Darnell Mooney, who I love. I think he's a great secondary piece in the NFL offense, but that's just that's how it has to be. Yeah. It's not Cole Komet, No. Right? And that's it. That's your that is your supporting cast for Justin Fields. Yeah. It is DJ Moore and Darno Mooney and that's it. Yeah. Clay Shape Chase Claypool is uh uh. Yeah. I, I'm uh no thank you. Um but yeah, I think DJ Moore has to be. He's gonna get it, he's gonna get over 125, 135
0: targets. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, he's, and he's gonna has to. Yeah, and he's gonna fit in multiple ways that they will use play action to yep. to get um offense out of him, whether it's crossing the middle of the field, quick slants, crossing routes, or the deep ball. He's gotten better as a vertical route. Yeah. He and contested catch player.
1: Yeah, I, I think too, when I look at a guy like DJ Moore is he's gotten better at making late adjustments to the ball.
0: Yes. And I think
1: that is where, when I looked at him in Carolina, that's where I'm like, you know what? This is going to be a better NFL player than he is in college because that that part of his game is developing. Um, and that's going to be something, too, where Justin Fields is going to need that. He needs, a, he needs the guy. Yeah. Right? I think you're going to look at a guy like Moore being on the field 100% of the time. And I think he's going to give you big plays. He's going to give you, you know, the important down in distances. He's going to give you the wide receiver one production because that is why they
0: traded for him. The, right? the, the best thing that I saw Moore do at Carolina that really he stood out was when everyone was talking about Curtis Samuel and you watched them both run dig routes, Moore's dig routes were there dig right. more I mean I like Curtis Samuel and I'm glad to see that he stayed healthy last year and that maybe there's more to come that he's figured out a little bit of uh, they say that he's figured out or the team has helped him figure out what he needs to do maintenance wise to his body to stay on the field and hopefully that can continue um sure. but with more you could see flatter breaks and he's a more physical guy and so when you can have the physical guy who can also win after the catch like more, he scares the tar out of defenders in the middle of the field in ways that Claypool does not. Or Komet, because Komet's a, Comets, the, how do I put this, because Komet's obviously a good NFL tight end, like he's a, like, and you say a guy who can start for your team. But Komet's the mistake that I think scouts and GM's make every year when they scout a guy because they're they're looking for someone who can do everything well enough as opposed to someone who's special in one area. Like the Belichick, right. the Belichick approach with tight ends is like, I don't worry about the blocker. I can get those in the late rounds. I right, want the let's, guy let's who, just throw
1: the darts and see if, yeah. Yeah, let's 100%. get the
0: special guy who can be the receiver. And if he happens to block well, that's great too. But we want... We want something that stands out, and I don't think Komet's ever going to be that. That's no. why Tunyon's there, in in, in a yeah. respect as of, uh, can he can he be get back to that form where we can detach him and do a little bit more with him as a detached option because also he's our hedge for Claypool, who hasn't really shown oh, God. anything. Don't get me started
1: with that. What that trade was, oh oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Dude. listen,
0: when my my buddies at keeping at one hundred, we got to have you on as a guest with them, you guys can commiserate together with the, the Bears podcast. Oh, oh that man. was terrible. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, you, you know, we've talked about, the I've talked about this a lot on shows in the past, is that Claypool's just that guy who his first six games of his rookie career, they had Smith-Schuster, Deontay Johnson, and one other player, I'm trying to remember, who was in that lineup, who basically, the off- the opposing defenses those first six to seven games, was rolling to everybody else but Claypool. And and then they underestimated Claypool being able to win tight at the boundary um, in terms of him being tight to the boundary, not the defender being tight to him to the boundary. But once they fixed all that and said, we gotta make him the priority, his game tanked. Like it-
1: Oh yeah, and yeah. he's not a, and that's the thing is, you know, he's one of those, he looks the part, right? 6'4", 230 plus. You know, yeah, right. But he's the guy at the rec center that looks like he played, you know, college basketball, but he can't make an open jumper.
0: He's like the a, anti-Hines. Yes, player, basically. Yes, yes. yes.
1: No, a hundred percent. I'm, I'm not a fan of him yeah, whatsoever. And I, I, he's just he's gonna forever be an ancillary piece. To he'll have a couple games where he has, you know. Three for one twenty and two or something, right. right? He he he. You know he gets a couple couple big ones against a bad defense. Yeah, but he's not. He's not going to be a secondary option that offense. And yeah, he's someone I might for like firmly do not draft. Plus, hundred percent.
0: So let's end this with a guy that I'm wondering how intriguing you find him, and also because of all the injuries and um, that have been talked about with him, and that's. Tyge Spears, you know, are you, you know, there's a couple of things that come to mind is, you know, certainly you watch him at Tulane and whether it's LaShawn McCoy or Jamal Charles, those are guys that kind of come to mind to various people when you see (laughs) some of his runs, he's a massive playmaker. Um, you, You know, you like the speed, you like the quick, the quickness, the ability to transition from a downhill, a, a sideline approach to a downhill approach is amazing. He mm-hmm. didn't get a lot of receptions, but the receptions that he did, targets he did get, make your eyes pop out of your head and go, oh, you mean they match him up one-on-one in the f- overtime mm-hmm. against the cornerback detached and throw fade routes to him and he wins them? You, I mean, that's the kind of guy yeah. that you've got? So. Here he is behind Derrick Henry and probably only behind Derrick Henry considering that Hassan Haskins is, you know, not really that great of a mover, kind of a nice gap runner who recently had some off-field trouble. Um, And you're looking at this, all of this, and that sounds great, but then everybody's freaked out about, oh, he had an ACL tear and there's thickening with the cartilage and He's doesn't have an ACL in that, you know, and so you, you know, as as a guy who's you know certainly been around a lot of high end athletes and been a high end athlete yourself and has sure. works and trains with people, you know, I think of Heinz Ward who didn't have two ACLs, even by the time he got to Georgia, and he was recruited as a running back. And I remember watching him as a running back, right? right. Or John Elway didn't have an ACL you know, and played a long time, and some NBA players who Mm did People talk about, and and then, you know, Brian Westbrook and Frank Gore, Frank Gore played forever, and he had both ACLs torn, and Brian Westbrook had both ACLs torn, both of them did, before they ever made it to the NFL. There's a thing called copers, right? So I want you to talk about, you know, these phenomenons and what you think about copers, and what you think about maybe his specific injuries. I think really
1: the biggest thing is, like, first we don't know. We don't know, right? We don't know how he's doing currently. All we know is they drafted him in the first four rounds. Yeah. Okay. And we do know that their offensive line has improved. And we also know that Ron Carthon was actively trying to deal Derek Henry. This might be the end of the road for Derek a Tennessee tight. Which means I do think the Tennessee Titans try one more year. I think they do get DeAndre Hopkins. They go all in one more year. But what that means is for that offensive fire on all cylinders come January and February, they need to lessen the load on Derrick Henry. They absolutely need to. And they found out last year when they needed Derrick Henry, it's not going to be pretty come December, January. Right, you need to keep a guy like that healthy because if they win, if they want to win the playoffs, Derrick Henry has to be 100%. Derrick Henry. So I think Tajay Spears, from the perspective of can he stay healthy? Absolutely. I've, I've seen worked with, known athletes who have everything wrong with them, known man, and you know, be phenomenal, phenomenal athletes for their career and not have problems. But I've also seen the opposite. I've seen athletes and never get hurt in college end up getting hurt every single year. Like Trey Lance, who would have thought this would have been the outcome of his career, right? This is a guy who hasn't been – wasn't really hurt in college, who never, no one ever saw this coming. And physical. Yeah, exactly. And then now it's boom. He, he's – you know, the injury bugs got him, and, that, and that's going to be potentially the end of a what-if career for him, right? And so it happens all the time, and injuries are part of the sport. They're part of the game. But you know the best predictor of injury is previous injury. So is Tajay Spears likely to suffer lower limb injuries the rest of his career? The answer is absolutely yes. However, is he more likely than somebody
0: else? Not. It's only five percent more likely. Exactly.
1: Not very much because of the nature okay. of the position, yeah. right? That that's the thing is that, well the position he plays is the most one of the most violent positions in the in the sport. So I mean for me, I think it's looking at, hey, is this gonna be a guy that can get a future job as a Tennessee Titan? The answer is absolutely yes. I would if I was to have a betting favorite as to who is the starting running back for the Tennessee Titans
0: at this time next year, it is Dajay Spears. Yeah, and you know, guys who guys who move like he did last year coming off of what he did. And played all year, I don't know. I mean, to me, yeah, he—he's a dude. He's—he's a, he's a. I mean, if in
1: terms of open space players in this class, he is in the
0: top three. Yeah, him and Nate Dell, right? Like him and Nate Dell. Yeah, yeah, him. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Him, him, and tim and <laughs> yeah, Tank Dell is. Yeah, I mean, th- those are the guys where balls in their hands in space, and there's zero percent chance you win. Yeah, and yeah. 100%.
0: And they're saying, from what we've read a little, I've read a little bit this spring, is that he's showing that right now, at least oh, yeah. in the ways that you can see it.
1: And know? they haven't had that. They haven't had that. They haven't had that piece of their offense, right? They, they've never had a guy who could legitimately be the 1B to Derrick Henry's 1A. Yeah. They haven't had that guy. They've had guys who are, you know, nice secondary ancillary pieces, but not guys you want to give, you know, 10 plus touches to, yeah. right? Because you're taking away from the king. Yeah. But I think now they're going to have a, they're, you know, they're going to have a young guy in Tajay Spears who who not only as a runner, but as a receiver, right? They need weapons, right? In the passing game. And Tajay Spears can provide that, which is something that Derrick Henry can't really do. And I think that's going to be a piece for him to fight for third downs and be on the field more often as the year kind of progresses. And I think he's going to be a key part to them being a playoff team because I think, honestly, a guy like Derrick Henry, you need to limit his snaps during the season in some capacity because if you want to get to, like I said, January and February with this Tennessee Titans football team, because if they make a run at DeAndre Hopkins, it tells you one thing to make it one last go of this thing before, before Ron Gartham blows it up, throws the <laughs> grenade. And I think that's going to signal for, okay, this is going to be time to to take some tread off Henry's tires, make sure he's ready when it counts. And I think that means they're going to get a nice long look at Tajay Spears being the feature back potentially um, in that offense in years to come. So I'm excited to see what that looks like because he's an f- um, immensely talented player.
0: Well, listen, I... I can tell you that we're gonna help you guys get it, get there when it counts. You know, with with the one-two punch that we've got going on here on this podcast, it's it's been a lot of fun. And you know, I laugh because my last thought is now that you talk about you've worked with players who look like everything's going wrong with them, but they still have like long careers. It it, it kind of sounds like the idea of like what a bumblebee that like. But they shouldn't fly based on physics, but they somehow <laughs> sure. do. So I, I now I'm going to think of, Ty, when I see Tajay Spears running, I'm going to think of a B. <laughs> <laughs> sure, 100%. <laughs> hey, buzzing in the end zone, man. Yeah, but yeah, listen, you know, of course, you can find Angelo Analysis at angeloanalysis.com. Definitely check out his work and the subscription offerings that he has. You can find him on Twitter at Angelo underscore fantasy. You can find me at Mount Waldman or at com. You can find the rookie scouting portfolio with the projections and, and the pre-draft post-draft guide. They're available um, on the site and where you can figure out how to get them. And, you know, appreciate that, you know, you guys listening in. Appreciate Brandon for for joining Absolutely. me this year this has been it, this is we've only done two officially and it, it's it's everything that, that that i hoped it would be and more so likewise 100%. yeah yeah so we will see you guys probably early august that's probably where this is gonna go he's got some work related stuff where he's got to actually deal with actually ath- actual athletes and i've got a couple weeks of tape watching that i've got to do so we will catch you in august and thanks again and have a good night